Hi, this is Stephen Laddick. And I'm Kent McPhail. Welcome to What the M, the podcast about the mortgage default servicing industry. What the M is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes dropping every other Friday. Welcome. Welcome to the latest episode of What the M. My name is Stephen Laddick with Laddick, Honorado, and Fetterman. And my name's Kent McPhail, co-host of the podcast uh, with Kent McPhail and Associates. Our podcast is about the default servicing industry and the various entities involved in that, including default servicing law firms and vendors that cover a variety of things. And with that, let's kick off this latest episode of What the M. Our guest today serves as the president and general manager of Bid for Assets, a leading online auction site helping county governments conduct foreclosure and tax foreclosure auctions. Bid for Assets pioneered virtual public auctions back in the year 2000 and has sold over 100,000 properties for county governments. He is the leading expert on virtual public auctions and auction strategy and regularly lectures at conferences, engages with the media, and testifies before legislators. He also has an undergraduate degree and MBA from the University of Maryland, Go Big Ten, and welcome to the show, Jesse Loomis. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jesse, glad glad you're here today. So start off with, I want to ask you, can you share with our listeners how your company is using technology to improve the default servicing industry and, and how do you differentiate yourself against your competitors in that regard? Sure. So, and uh, I would think of our competitors uh, a little bit differently than uh, some people in the industry might think of us. And so you have, of course, the uh, the companies like Auction.com and Zome that have been doing REO uh, internet auctions for years. And that's not really the, the space that uh, Bid for Assets plays in. We work with uh, government agencies, particularly county government. And so as uh, Stephen mentioned, we pioneered virtual tax foreclosure auctions for county treasurers and tax collectors back in the year 2000 when, you know, the government auctioning things online was this crazy radical new idea. And something that's come uh, about a lot more under COVID is the idea of sheriffs and other public officials taking the foreclosure auctions that they're conducting and transitioning those online. So that's been a, a huge area of focus of ours over the last couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned COVID and how COVID has changed things. And that's my follow-up question. Uh, I practice in primarily a judicial foreclosure state, which uses sheriffs to conduct sales. And per our local procedures, it was always conducted in a large courtroom with hundreds of people packed into one small courtroom where COVID changed the realities of that. You just couldn't have that kind of live activity anymore. So how do you think or how do you see how the use of online auctions for sheriff sales has changed that? And how has it changed the results? What do you see out there uh, from the counties you do these sales in? Yeah, so the, uh, the impact has been in a few ways. So certainly the streamlining of the process, as you've talked about, uh, you know, in, in Pennsylvania where you practice, you know, the attorneys would typically have to be present at the foreclosure auction. So an attorney might have to go and uh, kill a couple of hours attending this sort of long auction, waiting for your property to be called so that you can stand up and say, you know, plaintiff bids $100,000 and sit back down. It didn't seem like the most productive use of an attorney's time. Uh, obviously, the, the greatest impact that 
these virtual auctions have brought have been on increasing sales. And so Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, county that I know Stephen knows well, uh, was the uh, the first in Pennsylvania to come online. We conducted their first sale in October of 2020. This was Pennsylvania's first virtual foreclosure auction. And so to give an example, you know, they talk about that they used to have about 10 to 12 bidders at their typical live auction. They're up to 50 to 60 bidders. Uh, they used to have something like uh, 10% or so third party sales. Uh, now they're averaging, you know, in the 50s, maybe 50 to 55% third-party sales. So it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but in tracking the data for years, Montgomery County is my hometown. And I can tell you that well over 90% of the properties that were placed for bid, were going back to the banks. Now from our firm, the sales we brought in Montgomery County, since they went online, our tally is 79% of them have sold third-party. Well, I think clearly more bidders, uh, a more competitive environment has a greater likelihood of an individual who lost their home for whatever reason to potentially realize some of the equity that they had when otherwise the typical courthouse sale, maybe not so much. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. Yeah, there's there's a number of parties affected by increasing the sales. And so to your point, uh, the head of civil process at Montgomery County had said in an interview that, you know, when they were doing live auctions, it was r very rare that there would be uh, a sale that was, uh, the bidding was so strong that the debt was satisfied and the related costs, and then there was still a surplus for the defendant who was losing their home to be able to claim. And now that's a regular occurrence. So it's it's good for the defendant. Obviously, the fact that, uh, to cite Stephen's example, most of the time banks were buying the REO. Now, most of the time banks are not buying the REO uh, is very good for the lenders who would obviously rather use their capital to uh, make loans as opposed to having to uh, own and maintain vacant real estate. And then, of course, there's the, uh, the county. And so uh, county collects fees based on the, uh, the sales that are conducted and the local community. And no one wants to live next to the, uh, the boarded up vacant home. You want to get these properties sold at the auction to someone who's going to live in it. Someone's going to fix it up, rent it out, you know, put someone in it, resell it. Um, all around, this has just been beneficial for all parties involved to increase these sales. So do you see this expanding into other jurisdictions. Uh, for instance, I'm in Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee. Um, I would assume that you guys are aggressively out trying to push this to other county governments. Yes, particularly in judicial foreclosure states, uh, we're focused on expanding these sales as an effective way to do things, even as COVID God willing, uh, sort of winds down and becomes much less of an issue for all the benefits that we talked about. And so, uh, you know, Washington State passed a law last year allowing for virtual foreclosure auctions. And so we've got two counties signed up there. New Jersey, which the sheriffs there and some of the largest fees in the country, uh, you know, they're chomping at the bit to get these virtual sales online. So there's legislation in the works to uh, to open these sales up to uh, virtual sales. 
And I think you'll see a lot of counties go online. There's other markets that we're looking at as well. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of the sales itself, because I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have questions about uh, how does it work for your service? Are there are there fees for the plaintiffs? Do the sheriffs pay you fees? Are the banks paying fees? Do the attorneys pay you fees? How, how does the process actually work to get the get the sale going? So specific to bid for assets, we've set up our model so that third party buyers pay a convenience fee on the transaction. And that's allowed us to keep our services free for all other parties involved. So no sheriff or county has ever received a bill for our foreclosure services. The plaintiffs, the plaintiff's attorneys don't receive uh, bills for our services. If the property goes to the plaintiff and we don't reach a third party sale, we simply don't get paid. Likewise, if a sale is set aside after the fact, we would also return our fee uh, to the third party bidder. So. I like a model where you see a good alignment of incentives where, you know, in order we have to create value and improve third party sales for a county in order for this to be basically worthwhile for us. So like as we move forward right now and we're looking at uh, a variety of loss mitigation options, half money, um, Arrear just being recapitalized at the back end of notes and what have you. Um, are these factors affecting your company or the, your portion of the industry in particular? Or do you see an increase in volume as we go forward? How, how is that affecting you? You know, I'm, I'm not as much an expert on the, uh, the macroeconomics of the uh, economy as some of your other guests probably are, but certainly what we do is going to be very tied to volume given the revenue model that we've adopted. Obviously, volume has been um, down of late. The moratoriums have affected things. Um, now we've got in certain places, we've got these uh, hurricanes that are creating other moratoriums. Um, so it's really very tied to uh, what's out there in the pipeline. Obviously, uh, I know another factor is that uh, uh, property values have come up a lot during COVID and people have a lot more equity in their homes, which is a good thing because people have a lot more options to get their properties out of these auctions. And so it's it's regular for us to start with a list of, you know, 50 properties weeks before the auction and then 10 properties the day before, and then we auction four properties. Well, that's a good thing. People found a way to, uh, to keep their home or to sell their home and get some equity out of it. Um, but of course, it affects the size of our auctions that we'll be conducting. Let's talk a little bit about the technology. And uh, as you know, in our judicial states like Pennsylvania, being an original colony, our, our foreclosure sale process had virtually unchanged been being conducted by sheriffs for 250 some years. Do you, do you find any resistance to change when you deal with the governmental agencies or the any pushback against technology or are people these days more receptive to finding uh, newer innovation or innovative ways to do these sales? You know, sometimes I'll be asked, you know, who's your greatest competitor? Is it this auction company? Is it that auction company? And I always say our greatest competitor is, uh, you know, convincing county government 
to think outside the box and pioneer something that has been unchanged for hundreds of years. And that, that really is our greatest obstacle. Technology is becoming more commonplace. We crossed the threshold under COVID where now half the states in the U.S. have had at least one virtual tax foreclosure auction. And, you know, 22 years ago when we did the first one, this was this, you know, crazy idea. It's like some of the uh, counties are accepting Bitcoin for, you know, property tax payments. And that's kind of a crazy idea now. And that may or may not become uh, more mainstream over time. So technology is being adopted. It is still often an uphill battle. And to your point, you know, all these foreclosure laws that are on the books really predate the Internet. And so, of course, when it says the auction must be conducted at the courthouse or language along those lines, uh, obviously it was done without the anticipation that everyone would have a device in their pocket where we could all be looking at the same thing hosted somewhere that we could all participate in. So we run into this situation a lot of the law catching up with the technology. And I work with a number of uh, state sheriff's associations who are drafted legislation to codify this to make sure that the foreclosure sales will stand up when they are uh, being conducted virtually. Jesse, thank you very much for being here. Um, one last question. What do you feel like is the best piece of advice that a mentor ever gave you that you would want to pass on? Yeah, and it's tough to isolate that to a single piece of advice. I've been really fortunate, uh, especially at Bid for Assets. There have been a lot of really smart uh, business people who have gone the extra mile and taken me under their wing and mentored me. I think uh, probably my personal role model who's had the most profound impact on me would be my grandfather, who uh, still still kicking, playing the stock market at 97 years old. Um, you know, he's really instilled in me uh, a strong moral compass. He's someone who always does the right things. And uh, you know, default servicing, this is a sensitive industry that we're in. I mean, it's really uh, often people losing their homes, losing their businesses. And so uh, while this is, of course, a, a for-profit company that I run, it's really important not to lose sight of what we're doing and to think about all the parties involved and how our actions are going to impact um, all parties involved in the process. Excellent answer. Thank you, sir. If you like what you hear on our podcast and want to hear some more, please rate, review, and subscribe to What the M on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to visit with us on social media, we can be found at What the M Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.